Hey friends, welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we seek to find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, and Jesus-embodying responses to current day issues. I am excited to have Lori Krieg on the podcast today, and I interview her about marriage, specifically about her story, which her and her husband Matt have written about in their book, An Impossible Marriage. They are, the subtitle is an an impossible marriage, what our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love and the gospel. So she is same, same sex attracted and Matt had a porn addiction. And so the two kind of collided in marriage and then what they've learned about love and about the gospel as a result of that. I highly recommend this book. I think it's probably the best marriage book that I know of at the moment. I've had a number of friends tell me the same thing. Even friends that aren't married yet have told me this. And so I, I think anybody, whether you're married or not, will will find it incredibly helpful just to understand marriage, also to understand ourselves and our needs as human beings and and to understand the gospel at a deeper level. So without further ado, I introduce you to my conversation with Lori Creek. All right, we are here with Lori Creek. Welcome to Unfeigned Christianity. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. I reached out to Lori a while back about coming on because I've heard your book, An Impossible Marriage, for my video audience, <laughs> has has been... I have heard couples, I personally think, um, I've heard single people talk about this being the best marriage book that they've ever read. And Aww. so I... Uh, I would love to be able to just kind of hound both you and Matt with questions <laughs> about marriage and so forth, but uh, you've been gracious enough to give give some time here yourself, and and so thank you for that. Uh-oh. For my audience, Lori is, she's a mom, she's a writer, a wife, but specifically, An Impossible Marriage talks about her journey of and her and her husband Matt's journey of getting married as a mixed oriented couple and and also on Matt's part struggling with a porn addiction and and just the the way when people hear their story they feel like they're in the middle of an impossible marriage and and the way it felt like that but it's a it their journey and as documented in the book is just a a deep dive into what is marriage? What is the purpose of marriage and what are our needs as human beings in, in intimate relationships? And, and so I would just love if we could start our conversation, we'll get, we'll get into more of some of that, but if you, if you would be willing to just kind of tell us at least the five minute version of your story. And, and so my audience has more familiarity with the, with the context. Yeah. So Thank you. I'm super glad to to share some of this. And really, even as I'm talking, as you were sharing, I'm just praying for your audience, just that they would be encouraged with how much Jesus loves them right where they are right now. Mm -hmm. So 
I I always start my story. Our our podcast is called Hole in My Heart. And so we always mm. talk about this God-shaped hole in our heart. And, you know, Augustine refers to it. Paul makes an allusion. You know, just lots of people. Lewis, just that we have this God-shaped hole in our heart that can only be filled with what? Jesus. And that's maybe the cliche, but still true answer. But instead of just do, saying these ethereal Jesus words, like we need Jesus to complete us, which is true. I like talking about how God created us good in creation, but also needy, which, you know, hardcore reformers will be like, but we're broken and evil. And, and yes, I get that. But is need good or bad? It's just needy. For example, this need to belong, to be seen, to be known, to be loved, to be affirmed. Why did God say it's good over and over about creation? Why does he have to keep reminding us who we are and how much he loves us and sees us and knows us and comes to us in all these ways? But like we get, we, I forget like a goldfish who I am. Why? Because I was made for that affirmation. I was made for that love. I was made for completion in him. But because I was born post-fall, I have natural to me defaults, predisposition, or orientation, if you will, to get those good needs of my heart met in ways that don't actually satisfy and don't glorify God. I was, you were, we all are born that way. It's called idolatry. It's called trying to Fill that on our heart with something, not God, and look to creation instead of through creation to the creator who's meant to complete us. And so I had some church acceptable ways like people pleasing and performing and being perfect, all the three P's of disaster. But like those are like more acceptable in the church, but still idolatrous if I'm trying to get my value and identity from how I do, from how people perceive me. But I also felt these, it's so weird to use attraction language when you're five years old. I felt this draw toward other girls that I did not feel about boys from a young age. And I grew up in 80s and 90s, moral majority evangelical America. And the language around, quote unquote, the homosexual agenda was like, there's this war on marriage. This was my interpretation of it as a kid. But there's a war on marriage and the homosexual agenda is going to come and like murder babies in their sleep or something. Like it was it was a very it was war language. Us versus them even though I was them in the church. So I wasn't like growing up being like, "Oh man, so this is my version of sexual brokenness that I need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ like everyone else is called to do. No, no, no. <laughs> Probably some of your audience can relate. You shut that mess down. You fragment that out of you. You just, you just pray the gay away. You pray anything away. You do not engage. Do not engage the gay. So I didn't. And I instead leaned into my other idols, the people pleasing, performing, et cetera. But when I got to Christian college, my dad's a pastor at this time, and I'm super Christian leader girl. And so it was really, I honestly surprised myself in some ways when I found myself in a secret same-sex relationship with another Christian girl. And it was confusing because I wasn't like snorting crack and I didn't want to murder babies in their sleep and I wasn't sleeping around. Like I didn't fit my own stereotypes. So I was, I was really like, well, Okay, wait, what? I couldn't I couldn't find a book 
about someone like me. They weren't, nothing was written yet. Jackie Hill, Perry, uh, Wesley Hill. I didn't write a thing, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing. It was all ex-gay narrative. You were gay, then you come to Christ. Now you're straight. And I was like, I'm like a super Christian. How do I become more Christian to not feel this way? Didn't know how. So in that season, by the grace of God, I was actually introduced to technically my counselor who discipled me. And I, I reached out to her initially because you can imagine the torment inside. You know, LGBTQ people are two to four times more likely to attempt suicide. And that stat, I can attest, is that's real life because the theological, emotional battle and and 86% of LGBTQ people grew up in the church. So you can imagine oh, wow. with us not doing so great at engaging this conversation in the church, that there could be some spiritual, emotional, theological battles going on that could create something like the tumult that could lead to at least suicidal ideation. And that's what I experienced. Mm. So I went to see her for that. And, you know, we end up unpacking my story and, what she did was really helped me to understand the needs, those good needs underneath my idols, for lack of a better term. And she'd ask me questions like, Lori, when you envision the ideal perfect woman, what do you picture? I was like, I ain't telling you that, you old. <laughs> so I was like, what do I have to lose? And so I would say, I want someone who will see me and know me and love me for who I am. And she'd look me in the eye, which is the antidote to shame. And she'd say, those are not bad things. Those are good things. You're just running to the wrong place. And so the right place, though, was not to a dude. The right place was to Jesus. Of course it was. But I didn't recognize, I didn't know that I had some barriers between those good needs in my heart and the need meter of my soul. And I needed to learn how to trust God with those real places of my heart through not some orientation change therapy. It was good old fashioned spiritual disciplines. The primary one being that of lament. Hmm. I needed to learn to take my pain to a God who heard me. And even the pain, not just like confession of sin pain, like church pain, regular old being born to imperfect parents pain. Like we all have this, like being broken or being born in a broken world. And that helped me to really develop trust with God and really know him in those deeper places in my heart. It's cliche. It's true, though, is I fell in love with him and I was excited to be single and committed to God. And then I sensed God's hand on my shoulder saying, I have someone for you. And you can read a bit more about it in our book, but God had my heart not connect to all men because that would be sinful too. But he had my heart connect to one man, Matt. And we got married February, 2009. And where our book actually begins, it does some of that backstory that I just shared, but it really begins with my wrestling seven years in with, am I actually going to stay in this marriage? 
And I'll pause there and I'll let you ask some questions. Have you been blessed by the work of Unfeigned Christianity? If so, I invite you to go deeper by becoming a member of Unfeigned Christianity on Patreon. All of our work is designed to help Christians find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, and Jesus-embodying responses to current day issues. And we could not do it without the support of our members. As a part of the membership, you get to go deeper into just the nitty gritty, raw, wrestling through, sorting through what does it look like to faithfully embody Jesus in a world and in our culture and time. There are three main tiers of membership. The first is a basic membership, which gives you access to expanded versions of our podcast episodes, as well as deep dive essays that interact with how should we think about the Black Lives Matter movement, what should the church's responses to homosexuality be, and how do we handle theological differences in the church. We, we tackle all those types of things through our deep dive essays, and the basic membership gives you access to all of that. The next tier is the advanced membership. This gives you all of the stuff in the basic, as well as all of our courses. We've produced two so far. The first is Finding My Place in God's Story, which helps you better understand the scriptures and how God has gifted you to participate in his restoring work. This is a course that roughly 25, 30 people have gone through already, and they found it extremely helpful in understanding the story of scripture and how we fit into it today. The second course is Creating Sexually Healthy Romance, and it is designed to help people interested in or currently in romantic relationships and what does it look like to live healthy sexuality in that context. You get access to that plus the basic in the advanced membership. The final tier is the founding membership, which is the highest. You get access to everything plus after seven months of being a founding member. If you desire, I'll come and speak to your church or to a small group. Just contact me and we can hook something up. Those are the three main tiers of membership. Now, starting this month, if you become an advanced member, which is the middle tier, I will send you a free copy of Lori and Matt Krieg's book, An Impossible Marriage. This is the best marriage book I've read many of my friends have read. It's a really good book. If you become an advanced member this month, I'll send you a free copy. Plus you get all the access to everything. Now here's the really good deal. When you subscribe for a whole year, when you do an annual membership, you get 16% off. So if you're interested, you've appreciated the work and you'd like to go deeper, then I invite you to check out the membership options. If you'd like to see more details, just visit asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one of my first questions was why did you stay? Yeah. It, obviously I, I have read your book and I know your story more, but for some context, your guys' story, I, I first heard you on Preston Sprinkle's podcast, Theology mm -hmm. in the Raw. And I, I have my own story of addiction to pornography and, and finding freedom from that. And that was something I processed pre-marriage, but then, you know, continued to, to work through it in marriage. And then in writing more about my story, I began discovering how many people around me were also same-sex attracted and, and like wrestling with this other aspect of their sexuality and so forth. And, and so it felt like your guys' story brought all these worlds mm. together mm. and in just a way that like, I know how hard it is 
to for if if one of us is addicted to pornography like how how much that can be destructive to a marriage let alone someone who's not naturally given and as you talk about in your book like you you at one point were very raw in your journal about your lack of desire for matt and yeah and that's a very raw portion of the book and Mm -hmm. and so i yeah I know that there are people listening, uh, couples who can identify with the intense struggle of like, but even with the, like in the, the Christian world, there's many different varieties of belief on divorce and remarriage. And you could, you could go, you could change, tweak your view on that and, and find a way out oh, of yeah. this particular difficult relationship. And so I'm curious, yeah, what, what led you to lean into marriage with Matt? So, I don't know. Maybe that's moving further into your story. Then. No, it's perfect. Just going to pull my old Bible out. So I, our book starts with me going on a silent retreat. And, and I say how I packed into my suitcase, a question of what do you want? And that's such a lethal question. It can be very life-giving. It can also be lethal if our hearts are pretty jacked, for lack of a better term. <laughs> like if they're not mm-hmm. tethered to Christ. And it's, that's a whole other podcast conversation is that question alone. Uh, but I, I was like, what do I want? And I was like, I don't want to stay in this marriage. Like if you just like straight up ask me, like, I don't want to stay in here. But then I wrestle with like, well, am I just like a kid or, or my kids? You mentioned you've got four kids that like they think that what they want is candy and staying up all night and party, party, party. At least my kids do. And I was like, well, maybe I'm like a little kid who doesn't actually know what she wants. So I really didn't want to stay because seven years in my, these attractions magnetized to a, suppressed childhood trauma memory then obviously remembered I'd suppressed it or repressed or whatever the word is and it produced that question of what do you want and so I go on this silent retreat and argue with God and he brings to mind the book of Jude and now I can't find it because it's like one whole page there it is and I just read it like in my reading and it says this you my dear friends must remember what the apostles of our lord jesus told you that in the last times will be scoffers whose purpose in life is to enjoy themselves in every evil way imaginable now they are here and they are the ones who are creating divisions among you they live by natural instinct because they do not have god's spirit in living in them i was like if this desire to leave Matt and find a wife. Cause that was really what I wanted when I asked the question. It felt like the answer to a lot of problems, which that's, that's what idols do. They really do promise you a lot. And that's what fantasy does. They're really fantastical, but in the moment it's hard to see clearly. And it's really hard in this specific conversation, because as you mentioned, I can get a get out of marriage free card real quick. I can get, I could ring up three people with big platforms and I get platformed in a whole different way. So it feels natural to me, but there are those who live by natural instincts because they don't have God's spirit in them. And so I start asking myself the question as I'm like on this silent retreat, arguing, wondering if I'm even going to go home. What's 
the spirit even give me? And it was so weird. And I write about it, but it's like for the next two seconds, I experienced, I think, a tiny taste of a life devoid of God or a life of hell because I was so cold and I was so afraid. And I didn't feel like, oh, I'm hungry, empty. I felt like I was emptiness. And I was like, holy cats. And when that was done, I was like panting, trying to catch my breath and take that or leave it. But we do know that hell is a life is devoid of God. And Mm -hmm. his, his light, he, the sun shines on the evil and the good. So what we're experiencing right now, even if you're not a Christian is still God's grace in the world. So take that away. It is bad. So I was like, if I follow what I want, and I'm not saying every LGBTQ person or everyone who's not a Christian is, this is their life. But I just asked the question, what's a life devoid of the spirit like? And God, let me taste it. I'll tell you what y'all, it was terrifying. And I decided in that moment, I honestly didn't want Matt. (laughs) I didn't want our marriage in that moment. I didn't know how God would fix it. But I said, I do want God. And so if I want you, God, I guess I want what you have for me. And it seems like what you have for me is this impossible marriage. And that gave me the energy to do the work it took to work on our marriage. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's convicting. As I read that and even some of uh, Greg Greg Coles's work, yeah, commitment to celibacy. Like I find myself super convicted of my own motivations for in marriage and in my own idols that I maybe haven't confronted all the time because they can, like you said, some of those other idols are are. Uh, I forget how you worded it, but it's church kind acceptable. Of okay. Yeah, church acceptable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They get the stamp of approval. And even even sex, like a heterosexual married person can have an idol of sex and it go fly under the radar. And yet it's still sure. just just as destructive. So yeah, I'm I highly recommend getting the book. I'm gonna have a link for the book in the in the show notes here, because there's all kinds of stuff we're we're not gonna be able to get to in this episode. But but I'd love if we could unpack what is the purpose of marriage, like is, yeah, you know, because I think, so we weren't able to have a, a lot of dialogue beforehand about my context, but I come from fairly conservative Anabaptist background, very okay. pro fa- pro family. And well, it's not just Anabaptist. It's kind of American Christian in general. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the purpose that we view for marriage is sex. That's the place. Right. Even some of the ways we help single people stay pure is really kind of just helping them wait and look forward to sex and marriage. But then mm-hmm. in a relationship like yours, or even even in my relationship, which is heterosexual, where we're, uh, yeah, we are attracted to each other, but we can still, sex can still be so if that's leaned on for the purpose can leave us empty. Yeah. What is the the real purpose of marriage? Ugh, right. 
It was so funny because as I was wrestling with staying in my marriage, I could argue against same-sex marriage, but I couldn't argue for marriage other than like it's covenant, blah, blah, blah. God hates divorce. I didn't understand. So this is the next layer of extreme help in, in doing the work that you can read about in marriage books, which is the real practical stuff. So this is the hearty stuff that I needed in order to, to even consider working on the practical. Hey friends, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Dwell app. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Dwell audio Bible app, but this app is phenomenal. It, it's changed my life in several different ways. As a Bible college student, I do tremendous amounts of Bible reading throughout the semester, more than I normally do. And I'm not a fast reader. And so one of the ways that I have been able to keep on top of the Bible reading is through the Dwell app. One one of the things I really like about it is there's very meditative, reflective music played in the background of the reader. So it's not dramatized. Some some audio Bible apps are dramatized and that's a little, I don't know, not my cup of tea. But it's a very calming and just peaceful way of having the Bible read to you. There's also, there's at least 15, I think there's close to 30 by now, different voices that you can choose from. There's many different translations you can choose from. For the ESV, I think there's maybe two or three voices, if that makes sense. But there's over 15 voices for sure. And so you can have a female voice, you can have a male voice, you can have a British accent, you can have an American accent, you can have a Canadian accent or a... Well, I like the British accent, so I listen to the Bible in the British accent, and it's it's been a really good way to keep on top of my homework, but also I have found sometimes I'll be listening to audio Bible as I commute someplace or as I'm doing some other work, or even in the morning. Sometimes it's hard to wake up, you're tired, and to sit down and read, it literally feels like an intellectual exercise. You're just... It's like school, like starting your day with school. And I love learning things, but I'm not like, I don't do well at starting my day with school. And so when you wake up and you're tired, but you want you want to meditate on the word of God to just put in my Air, AirPods and listen to the Dwell app is an incredible way to start my morning, just in peaceful worship, meditation. I hear things differently when I hear it being read than when I read it. I personally think you should read and hear it both, but that's one thing I like about audio Bible is different things stick out that didn't stand out before. I'll listen to it as I'm going on a run or something, and I can't say enough good about the Dwell app. And so if you would like to take your meditation, your Bible reading to another level, you can also, if you're not able to sleep at night, you can put in your AirPods and, and listen to the scripture being read and fall asleep that way. I've used that at times as well, but you can start for free. There's a link in the description below, or you can go ahead and purchase the the annual plan, which I have. And it's, to me, it's very much worth it just in the way, a couple things, the way it helps me uh, meditate and kind of a fresh view a fresh experience with scripture and then also the way it helps me keep on top of my homework it's been very helpful for me so Ephesians 5:32 you've probably heard it read it a billion trillion times every marriage every wedding blah 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 it's not so blah 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 when you really look at it is Paul 
for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall be united to into one. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church, an illustration of Christ in the church. Wait a minute. I read that and it was in this season and the Holy Spirit just illuminated it because I had heard man and a woman, profound mystery, blah, 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 something about Christ in the church. You may now kiss the bride. Very vanilla. But I was like, this is an illustration of Christ in the church. Like that's the focal point of the verse and of this passage. And so instead of having it man and woman be on the top of the triangle and then Christ in the church kind of looks like man and woman getting married, we got to invert that. Everything we're doing here in this marriage situation needs to look like Christ in the church. So what's the essence of Christ in the church? What's Paul even talking about here? Okay, there's something about men and women that are different and Christ and the church are different, and yet they're coming together in this union. How different are men from women? I mean, isn't that like the joke of like every marriage conference, like the first fifth of it? It's like women wear yoga pants and Starbucks and men love whatever, hammers and nails and farting. And, and you always want to have sex before you get married, but you can't until you put a ring on it and make sex Christian legal. But haha, once you're married, then you never want to have sex. And that's your biggest issue. Isn't it a hilarious joke? It's like God's cosmic punishment. <laughs> that's marriage. And oh, but anyway, let's work on our marriages because something about Ephesians 5. Okay, that's the jokes. So men and women are different, but how different is Christ from the church? Ephesians 1 talks about how he is far above every ruler in power and authority, not only in this life, but in the life to come. It says in Isaiah 58 or 59 that God lives in eternity. And yet the entire narrative of the Bible could be summed up in four words. God will marry us. Hmm. What? He wants to be one with us. There was this oneness in the garden. There was this fissure from the fall. Then, you know, we got Moses and Abraham, we got Israel, Jesus. And he will be the whole, the whole meta narrative is pointing to this union in the end, this marriage, this wedding feast of the lamb. And so Jesus died to be one with us and we are to die daily to experience increasing oneness with him. And so when you die to self to be one with your spouse, with your wife, with our husbands, we are showing the world a tiny picture in our homes to our kids, to our neighbors down the street, at the grocery store. We're showing them a picture of how Jesus died to be one with us, even though he's so different from us. Hmm. When I got that, the difference is critical. It's not just a joke because when I would go to those conferences where they're joking about this, I got to be honest with you as someone who's same sex attracted and like, I'm literally like, yeah, if you guys hate each other, why the heck are you married? You should just go be with your friends. (laughs) Like, honestly, it was like, you're not helping my cause. But when I see that sex difference is critical because marriage is a picture of the gospel, all of a sudden I can get on board for that because that gives me energy to do the work, to be one with Matt. Yeah, that's good. That's beautiful. In light of what you just said, is it possible right. to marry the wrong person? And what do you right. do if you're if you feel like well, you did? Well, if you're married, and then you didn't marry the wrong person. <laughs> I mean, if they're cheating, if it's abusive, I mean, 
you get help ASAP and there's, you know, grounds for divorce, you, you seek that out, what you need to do in order to get healthy and whole. But if it's not that, you're really, the longer you're staring at the what if and the what did I do and if onlys, you're putting money in the wrong bank. You got to say, because I remember, I think I wrote about this. So here I finally reorient, no pun intended, my eyes onto God and therefore onto my marriage. And I had no clue how God would fix it. I had no idea I'd be talking to you today, Asher. Mm. I had no idea we'd write a book. I didn't know if we'd make it. I gave us 0.6% hope. And I said, God, this is your deal. This, I'm rolling this burden back on you. And that would be one encouragement I give to any listener who's feeling similar about whether you're single, wrestling with some sort of addiction, whether it's sexual or whatever, idol or marriage. You roll that burden back on God and you call on his character and be like, this is your deal, God. You help. And then you work with his spirit an inch at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels refreshingly simple. Like, it, yeah, there's so much. Our, our culture is, especially in conversations about sexuality, it feels like there's been so much nuance and, and, and there is. There, there, I'm not trying to, to swipe away difficult experiences and, and right. the, the variety of experiences that people have. Right. But, but there, it really does come back to fo- following Jesus, whether that's in marriage or whatever path. It comes back to surrendering to his spirit and and crying out to him for yeah and and so it's it's kind of like for someone like me if i'm struggling with something in my marriage i'm looking for like something new and revelatory to help me through and so i find a couple like you guys who wow that's an extreme challenge what did what's their (laughs) secret (laughs) it's like oh the secret's the same (laughs) darn it Darn it and yay, right? Like, oh, yeah. it's the gospel again. It's the same thing over and over and over. And you're like, yep, <laughs> it's the same yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. What I wasn't going to ask you this, and if you if you'd rather pass on it, that's fine. But in the Christian world, there's been in recent months some kind of uproar and conversation around the the metaphor. Yeah, maybe it's more around metaphor metaphorizing. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Making a metaphor of the sex act, but even yeah, the marriage metaphor. I'm I'm curious. Yeah, what some of your thoughts are on on that? The recent conversation. Yeah. Do you care to? Yeah, yeah. I think if we look at the more recent uproar, there's specific issues with how it was more male elevating in humans trying to take a huge lofty not just theological or physical act of sex it's all of it it's all the things but i think from what i understand the greatest issue people took up with it is it seemed to equate men as the like savior role and that is kind of as both men and women get the Jesus role in marriage. 
And and I'm not about to go complementarian or egalitarian and go because that that does lead there. That that is kind of where this conversation can go, right? It's like mm. your views on complementarian or egalitarian, like on who takes the quote Jesus role in the Christ in the church metaphor, whether that's in everyday relating or in sex. So I do think when I think about the metaphor of sex in particular, I don't get into the specifics because that does feel awkward. Although I will just say Song of Solomon is is interesting. It is interesting that it's in the Bible and it does have very specific kind of graphic language. So that's all I'm going to say on that. But when I talk about sex in particular and the metaphor of it, I just say sex is telling the other person and you yourself, whether you're male or the female in this role, in this interaction, this is how much God wants to be one with you. Hmm. That I really appreciate is God wants to be one with me. That actually is someone who is same sex attracted and married to a dude. I'm not going to lie. Theo- theologizing Make adding a theological layer to sex is actually extremely helpful because if it's just mm. physical, a that is so gnostic, and it is or not the opposite of gnostic. But is that enlightenment? I need to look that up. But it's like when the separation of body and soul, and then degrading the the body. Yeah, that's not that's not the holistic Bible that I read. But mm. when you think about this, is this is telling you how much God wants to be one with you. And then you think about the fruit of sex producing kids, like oneness with God, if you're single or married, equals disciples. Like he's a reproductive God. And so even the very act of sex producing kids is a reproductive act that's also a metaphor in itself. So I think to say all conversation about metaphor around sex is evil is we're not reading the same Bible. Because how do you deal with Song of Solomon? How do you deal with the metaphor of discipleship and kids? Like I, I and I, I honestly, I couldn't be married if there wasn't a theological, metaphorical aspect to sex. But I yeah. think to assign specific Jesus and church roles is—I don't want to say dangerous, but it's like a word around dangerous. Yeah, yeah. No, I I appreciate that. The just the act itself, the act of sex or marital oneness is a a picture of how much God wants to be one. Holistically. Because if you're just doing it physically, you're doing it wrong. If your heart, soul, there's not relationship added Mm -hmm. into that moment, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not what God wants with us. He doesn't want union with just your body. He wants all of you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing this. It, it's it's been good, even though I we are kind of just getting the tip of the iceberg, and so I yeah highly recommend buying the book "An Impossible Marriage." It's on Amazon. I'll I'll have a link available. And then you said your podcast is "Hole in Your Heart." Did I get that yeah? Right? Hole in my heart. It's everybody's hole own heart. Yep. Yeah, we talk about stuff like this all the time. Um, we're talking about this space. So maybe you and our podcast are the only ones talking about challenges in marriage, but we also, we're just talking about the gospels, good news for everybody every day. And so it's not just this space, but we did do a marriage series and we've talked to, we we're Matt and I are both on it. So we're regularly talking about our 
stuff and processing yeah. it with different books we read. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to look it up. I I hadn't been aware of the podcast, but yeah, definitely. And then you're you're on the board with the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, which yep. also produces a lot of resources. Yeah, um, they're doing great work so, yeah. in this LGBTQ space. So they're not going to be in the porn addiction lane, but definitely LGBTQ yeah. sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, and look forward to learning more from from your work and, and from what God is showing you guys through your oh, Thanks so much, Asher. Thanks for being real and for hosting these conversations. Thanks, friends, for listening. We go on to discuss at a little bit more of a raw level some practical questions, I guess you could say, of what about sex when you're not attracted to each other and and specifically yeah in a mixed orientation marriage when one individual may not feel sexual attraction and then how that can be triggering for both part like sex the act of sex can be triggering for both individuals we spend a few extra minutes i think it's close to 10 or 12 minutes discussing that in the expanded version of the podcast episode if you would like to access that you it's simply become a member there's a link below for the expanded version and it's just ten dollars a month as a part of the unfeigned christianity membership you get access not just to this expanded version but all expanded podcasts and all deep dives click the link below to learn more thank you Unfeigned christianity is brought to you by our members at patreon as a part of the membership program you receive two deep dive essays a month, and expanded versions of all our podcast interviews. If you would like to become a member, visit www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. Unfeigned Christianity podcast is also a part of two networks, the Restorative Faith Collective, where we have conversations about race, perspectives, and relationships in an Anabaptist context. To learn about more articles and podcasts, visit www.restorativefaithcollective.org. The second network is the Kingdom Outpost, where we talk about what it looks like to live as Jesus's nation in today's world. For more podcasts and articles, visit kingdomoutpost.org. Thanks for listening.